0: Entitled Small Things, Big Difference. Small Things, Big Difference. And uh, we start with last week we talked about our thoughts, and today we're going to talk about our words because you know what? The problem with thoughts is they don't stay in your head, they always find their way out of your Mouth. mouth. Yeah. So to help us think about those things and to set it up today, take a quick look at this. Opening video. I wish I didn't have to go to this stupid meeting. I always say the wrong thing. I'm just gonna embarrass myself again. I used to be nervous about going to meetings, but now I actually look forward to them. God always gives me the right thing to say. I heard he was an arrogant jerk. My buddy says he's full of himself, and he's impossible to be around. You know what? I'm gonna give him a chance. You never know until you get to know someone. He may be really a nice guy. You want me to help him? Are you kidding me? I could barely help myself, much less someone else. Wow, I'd be honored to reach out to him. I know I'm not perfect, but I remember when I needed the same thing and a buddy reached out to me. Count me in. Succeeding at the big things has a lot to do with the little things. Words matter. Small things, big difference. All right, hopefully you've got your outline in your bulletin this morning. If you've if you, if you got that outline, take it out. We're going to get started. It's kind of been our theme through this whole series is this idea right here. It's simply this. It is the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everybody wants. All right? It's the small things that nobody sees that often results in the big things that everybody wants. Frank Outlaw said this. He said, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. It all starts with our thoughts, but thoughts always give birth to words. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 21, Proverbs eighteen twenty-one. it says there that the tongue, in other words, our words, has the power of what? Life and death. The power of life and death. Ralph Ellison said this. He said, if the word has the potency to revive and make us free, that's life, right? It also has the power to blind, imprison, and destroy, and that is what? Death. The wor- our words have the power of life and death. Now, here's the main thought for today. And this is in your outline. I want you to write this down. It says, if you want to change the life you have, change the words you speak. If you want to change the life you have, change the words you speak. And I want to encourage you today to think, to follow me with this today. Small changes in the words we speak have the potential to bring about a big difference in the life that we live. Just little changes in the words that we speak can make a huge difference in the life that we live. Now, James... The Apostle James talked about this in James chapter 3. James is, interesting, is an interesting fellow because we know that James was the younger brother of Jesus. And, and scholars say that James just himself may be one of the biggest proofs of the divinity of Christ. Because Think about it what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was a son of God? <laughs> I mean, really, stop and think about that. And James, did, James didn't buy it until the resurrection. In fact, we know, we know for a fact that, that James did not believe in his brother, Jesus, until post-resurrection. So, as a result, this is a pretty strong book. And here's what James says about the tongue in James 3, verse 3. It says, we can make a... What kind of a horse? It should come up on the screen. We can make a large horse. Y'all ever seen a horse? We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a what? A small bit in its mouth. Large horse, what? Small bit. Just a, And it, a bit is little. It's about the width of a horse's mouth, about four inches. And you slide that thing under the tongue. We had one horse that was a... Very spirited, and it's called a double blit. It's a split bit, and it goes in to the top and the bottom of tongues, and it's got rollers on it. And that will make the most stubborn horse do exactly what you say, and you need the lightest touch on the reins. A huge horse, small bit. goes on to say in verse 4, he says, And uh, what kind of a rudder? A small rudder makes a huge ship go wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And then he puts it together for us, verse 5. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Isn't that the truth? But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. How many of you have ever gotten yourself in trouble with your tongue? Oh, man, that's everybody, isn't it? What James is saying here is really he's echoing Solomon in Proverbs, matter of fact, James is often called, the book of James or letter of James is often called the New Testament Proverbs. It's a wisdom book. And he is echoing the fact that the, the tongue has the power of life and death. In our mouth, our words can either be life-taking or life-giving. Life-taking or life-giving. And, and I, I can tell you, I've been in the ministry for 30 years. I've I've sat across from many couples who were headed quickly towards divorce. And I can tell you, in that house there is an abundance of life-taking words. Are you with me? When you have a bad marriage, there's always life-taking words. In a good marriage, there tends to be life-giving words. Um we tend to affirm one another. We tend to express our, our commitment, our, our pleasure, our, our enjoyment, and our, 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 the fact that that other person is a blessing to our life. Oftentimes, we fall into bad habits. We don't realize the power of our words. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Proverbs 1218 says this. Solomon said, The words of the reckless, what do they do? They pierce like... Swords. Have you ever been pierced by a reckless word? But, here's the contrast. The tongue of the wise, what does it do? It brings healing. Have you ever experienced that? Life-taking word? Life-giving. A life-taking word can can pierce right to your heart. Whereas a life-giving word can bring healing. He also said this, Solomon, in Proverbs 15 and verse 4. He said, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue, look at this. What does a perverse tongue do? It crushes the spirit. It crushes the spirit. What does it mean to have a crushed spirit? What does that look like? Have you ever seen, if you're a parent... Have you ever said something and immediately seen the spirit of your child just close right in front of you like a door? Sometimes it can be the minor things, you know, little things. We don't realize the power of our words, such as, did you mean to do that to your hair? <laughs> By the way, guys, don't ever say that. I'm going to give you something free in church. Don't ever say that. Um, I have a friend of mine that was really hurt by someone who came up to me and said, man, why aren't you married at this point in your life? You know, those things can be crushing to the spirit. Or they can also, those can be more purposeful. Um, statements. Such as, I never loved you. Or, you're never going to amount to anything. I remember Bill Glass, who uh, is involved in prison ministry, weekend of champions. He he's interviewed thousands of inmates. And every one of them to an inmate has had one issue in their life that's the same. They come from different backgrounds, different races, different religions. However, they all had either no father. An absent father or a father who engaged in life taking words and not life giving words. And I'll never forget one of the guys he was interviewing, he asked him about his father and if you know his relationship with his father, and, and the guy said, you know, ultimately I became what my dad said I would become, which is no good and in prison, and here I am. Do you realize the power of your words? However, there's also life giving words. When someone comes and says, you know what, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I couldn't love you more. I'd marry you all over again. Have I ever told you that, Elizabeth? I tell her that all the time. I I would marry you all over again. And I'm so thankful that God put you in my life. So here's what I want to do. You'll notice on your outline this morning, I want to take an assessment. I want you to take an assessment. Last week we did a thought assessment. This week, I want to do a words assessment. Your words, um, are they, your words to other people, are they more life-taking or are they more life-giving? Now, before you circle that one to ten, I I want you to think about it. Generally, the words that I say, are they more life-taking or are they more life-giving? If, there, if, if, if the words that you say to others are more life-giving words, you, you, you tend to guard what comes out of your mouth, and you try to make those things positive, You know, maybe you'll be up there in the, in the upper half. Maybe, maybe you struggle with, with life-giving words and, or with life-taking words. Just this week, um, something it was minor. It was silly. It was, it was not done in, in um, willful disobedience. It was, it was done in inexperience. You all know with your children... There's willful disobedience, and we should know what that looks like. And then there's the fact that they just haven't done it before, right? And, and, and one of my kids had, had done something not the way I wanted, and, and, I, and they tried to fix it and made it worse. And I, and I found this coming out of my mouth. What's the matter with you? What is the matter with you? And it took me right back, and I, my dad used to say that to me. I love my dad, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm here today. I'm alive today because of him. I'm going to tell you that right now. My dad has saved my bacon more than once. But my dad used to say, "What's the matter with you, boy?" And, and and I remember one time he said that to me. I think he had me jacked up in the wall in the corner house. <laughs> "What's the matter with you?" And I found this coming out of my mouth. I said, "I can't say for sure, but I I think it's my father is my biggest problem." Yeah. And I realized that it, it was. <laughs> he made that very abundant clearly uh, after that. But I said, I said to this, my, my, one of my kids today, what's the matter with you? And, you know, I, I don't want to say this to my family, to my, especially Elizabeth. If you hear that come out of my mouth, you have permission to stop me and just say, that's life-taking. I need to retrain. Do you, you know, are you all with me? So where are you on that with how you speak to others? Life-taking, life-giving. We need to have life-giving. Now, what about this? What about this? One? This gets a little harder. What about in your words to yourself? Because, you know, we all talk to ourselves, right? Oh, yes, you do. We all talk to ourselves. My brother David has a master's degree in talking. He has conversations with four people all by himself. And they all, it is, you ought to come hear him sometime. He is great. Uh, If you want to learn how to talk to yourself, David will teach you. Uh, We all talk to, how do you talk to yourself? I find myself saying the most horrible things to me, about me. You are such a jerk. Anybody could do this but you. you, you whatever you touch turns to mold instead of gold. You know, how many of you say those types of things to yourself? Our speech to ourselves is horrible. Now, some people have got it figured out. Some people speak life-giving words to themselves. You know what? Yep, I really blew that one, but by God's grace, I'm going to do things different. I love those kind of people. So where, where do you fit in your self-talk? Do you say more life-giving words to yourself or life-taking words? And and how many of you would agree with me that we tend, to, we tend to say a lot more life-giving words to others than we do to ourselves? Is that true? Don't we do that? We're our own worst critic. So we need to be careful. So if you didn't circle a 10 and a 10... Then, then this message is for you. I think everybody has room for improvement. So let's get into what this looks like today. I just got really two main points to say and one challenge to you. And, and I'm going to start off by just saying I'm going to unashamedly sound just like your mother right now. And, and, and the reason I do that is because she was right. Mom was right. Here's the first thing. You've heard it before. If you can't say uh, something helpful, here it is. Skip it. Your mom ever tell you that? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything what? At all. at all. You should have listened to your mother. Mom was right. If you can't say something helpful, skip it. Just don't say anything at all. Ephesians four twenty nine. it says this. And this is important. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now listen to this. But only what is, if you've got your own Bible, you should circle this, helpful for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Did you catch that verse? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, when you think about unwholesome talk, we usually think about the big things, the stuff you get your mouth washed off with soap for when you were a kid. By the way, hot sauce works a lot better than soap. Um. But we think of those things, don't we? Just the real nasty, vulgar things. That's what he's... No, he's talking about life-taking words. Don't let any life-taking words come out of your mouth. Instead, life-giving words, only what is helpful. And notice what helpful does. You know it's helpful when it builds someone up and doesn't what? Tear them down. We can, if you want to change your, the, word, the life that you live, change the words you speak to yourself and to other people. The King James version of this says this. Um, if you can't say something nice, shut thy trap. Now, it doesn't really say that, but it should say that. You shut thy mouth. We should just, if you, if you can't say something helpful, don't say it. It's not necessary. And, it, and, and this is not the place to elbow someone sitting next to you. If you're going to elbow somebody, elbow yourself, okay? Because this is for you. All right, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I think we know... We all do that. We say dumb things that are life-taking instead of life-giving. And when those things come into your mind, we talked about that last week, we grab those thoughts and replace them with the truth and let something good come out, right? So so there's the negative. If you can't say something helpful, just skip it. But what about this one? Number two, this is where I really want to spend some time this morning. If you think something good, say it. If you can't say something kind or helpful, skip it. But if you think something good, that's what you should say. Are you with me? Now, now here's, here's what the Bible says in Psalms 16 and 24, or Proverbs, excuse me, 16 and 24 says this. Gracious words. What kind of words, church? Gracious, Gracious words. In other words, words that are filled with grace. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Let me, let me put that into modern culture. Gracious words are like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, I lost everybody right there, didn't I? You're all think about Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Grace's words are like a, a honeycomb. What are they? They're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You realize that, that our words literally have the power to soothe, to comfort, and to heal. I don't know about you, but I, I find that absolutely amazing. Now, notice what that verse doesn't say. It doesn't say gracious thoughts are a honeycomb, does it? No. It says gracious what? Words. Now, now, stay with me. How many of you think life-giving words or thoughts, but never find those thoughts making their way out of your mouth? You with me? My wife is so good for me in that area. We, we, we go out on a date every Monday night, and sometimes we talk. A lot of times we just sit in the quiet, don't we, Elizabeth, because our house is loud. But but sometimes we talk. And the other night, we went out on a date, and one of the topics of conversation that's becoming more frequent on our dates is that of our granddaughter, who we very much enjoy. And and so we're out on this date, and we're... we're extolling the, the the virtues of Myra Kress. And, and, uh, and then we got to talk about Anna. And I told her, I said, you know, I am so proud of that girl. I, I always knew she'd be a good mom just from how she was with our kids. But I had n- never had a clue she, she would be that good of a mom. I mean, she has far exceeded... Even how good I knew she would be. She puts time into it, she puts effort in, she researches like crazy, and, and she's just a, and, and she's not one of these moms that that you know is a coddler in a sense. You know, she's she's gonna she's gonna raise that kid right. And she she just puts it in and, and uh, Elizabeth said to me, here it is, ready? Have you thank you, have you told her? And and I said, No, she knows that. How does she know that? Seriously. And you've done the same thing. She cannot read my mind. I saw a bumper sticker one time. I like it. said, men read newspapers, not minds. Tell us what's going on. And that, that's a good thought, isn't it? I can read a newspaper, but I can't read your mind. And if we could read each other's minds, we'd all have no relationship with each other, period, ever. Right? Truth? She can't read my mind. So on the other day, I would happen to be in a car with, with just Anna and Myra and myself. And we're driving down the road. And I, and I said, Anna, I just want you to know. And I told her. And I said, that's life-giving words. And I realized, I don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. And neither, neither do you. We, we need to say gracious words. Not thoughts, but gracious words. Mother Teresa said this. I thought it was profound. She said, kind words can be short and easy to speak. But their echoes are truly endless. Isn't that true? Their echoes are truly en- endless. Now, I want to say something here. This came to me as I was putting this together. And it was convicting because I've seen it. And I've been guilty of it. And and here it is. If if you think something good, say it. Express it. Don't think. Just leave it there. Get it out. Tell that person. And then this thought came to me. I've met people, and I have been that person, who they withhold life-giving words Because we're afraid that we might cause that person hearing them to stumble into pride. Hmm? That's an excuse. I just want to blow that one up right now. And then here's the truth. Let me put it another way. We think that God Almighty has called us to keep everybody around us humble. Yeah, we laugh, but some of you actually think that. That your calling in life is to keep everybody around you humble with your words, and I got to thinking about that, and 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 God brought up some examples in my life that I'm not going to share with you, and God, the God, the God, the Holy Spirit, just as clear as can be, put this thought in my mind, and it's simply this: that's my job. That's what God said. Humbling people is my job. And I got to look at some. Let me see if this is true. Bible says test everything and see if it's of God, right? The spirit. So I looked it up in the Bible. Everywhere that humble and humility are found. And guess what? Humility is never commanded for you to bring that to someone else. It's always a self-command. And if we don't bend to humility, God allows our actions to bend us to humility. No one was ever told to humble somebody else. That is God's. Job, not yours. And somebody needs to hear that today. Stop thinking and being afraid of what your words are going to do at pushing someone into pride. It's one of those things that we don't even ever get close enough to that line to worry about it. Are you with me? I'm preaching better than you're listening today. I'm just saying. Stop that thought if that's your thought today. God did not call you to keep other people humble. That's not your job. Martin Luther King Jr., said this, and it's brilliant. I think he's absolutely right. He says, in the end, when it's all over, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Someone says silence is golden. Silence is deadly. You've got a life-giving thought, turn it into a word and let it fly. I was hanging out with a friend of mine recently. He's a younger man and is um, studying for the ministry and And I began an accountability relationship with him. And uh, I thought it was for me to help him. And as so often is the case, that thing gets reversed. Do y'all realize that, and especially in ministry? You go out to help someone else, and, and you're the one that receives the help in return. So we were out the other night, and it was a particularly discouraging week for me. And we were talking about life and ministry and all this. And he was asking me about the church and our time here. And I, saw, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I can, this is just me talking here, because I can be honest with this guy. I said, "I just feel I've been here 15 years, and if one word describes my time here, it's failure. It's failure. We're about the same place we were, numbers-wise. And it's just the enemy getting in there with my thoughts and messing with me. I know that. But you know, I've given the, be- the best years of my life, the prime years of my life in ministry are I've, I've had them, At, according to the numbers. And I realized this, and I've given the, given the best years of my life, and it feels so, like the impact is almost nothing. He slammed his drink down on the, on the counter, he's kind of a big fella, as far as, he's very muscular. His, his hobby is CrossFit. My hobby is CrossFit. <laughs> and he grabs me and almost pulls me over the table. He said, are you out of your mind? And here's what he said. He said, when I look at the time that you've spent and what you've invested, regardless of the outcome, I don't see failure. I see faithful. You're not a failure. You are faithful, and it is amazing that what that life-giving word can do. And I, I, I left that meeting. I was ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. I mean, I, I didn't care if, if you know, next, the next day the only person showed up was Elizabeth. She needs to hear what I have to say. You know, it's a life-giving word. If you think something good, we need to say it. Napoleon Hill said this, and he's so right. He said, think twice before you speak. Because your words will, uh, and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. And my friend sitting there across from me that night reminded me of that truth. He thought something life-giving. And he said it. And and I'll tell you what, I've lived on that for several weeks now. And every time I get discouraged and think I can't, I think, you know what, God can. And God is bigger than me. And he's bigger than my life. And listen, don't just encourage others with your life-giving words. You also need to what? You need to encourage yourself. You need to encourage yourself with life-giving words. One of my favorite passages is in 1 Samuel 30. Let me give you the context of 1 Samuel 30. David is still running from Saul for his life. And he's, he's got this ragtag group of guys that are basically running from the law too. And they become his mighty men. So he, they hire themselves out as mercenaries. Because they're really good at one thing. And that's fighting. Killing other people in battle. They're really good at that. And so they hire themselves out to, of all people, the Philistines. Uh, the enemies of Israel. But, you know, it's work. <laughs> and so they're doing their thing, and they're successful. And all of a sudden, the Philistines say, okay, we're going to attack uh, the children of Israel. And, and so David and his men go with them to attack their own people, right? And God intervenes. And, and some of the generals of the Philistines said, uh, no, no. You know what? They, they're good guys, and they've really helped us in some of our campaigns, but these are their people. We're going to get in that battle, and we're going to end up with two fronts. We're going to be fighting the enemy on the front, and these guys are coming behind. This is no good. And so finally, the the head of the Philistines comes to David and says, You can't come with us. Go back home. And the guys were discouraged because these are warriors. That's what they do. And they're all bummed out. So everyone's kind of ticked off and in a bad mood anyway. And so they're marching home, and it's miles and miles, and they come up over the hill. And at that time, they they had set up a town uh, with the wives and the children and, and these warriors in a little place called Ziglag. And they come up over the hill and they notice there's smoke. Always a bad sign when you pull in a driveway and there's smoke coming out of your house and it's not the chimney. Right? You ever been there? Okay. And and, and they get... You know what happened. They get over the hill and the place is is desolate. Everything's burned to the ground. Nobody's there. Everything's gone. And so they search the area and they find uh, one slave, basically, who had fallen and gotten wounded. And he said, What's going on? And basically this other group had come in and taken all their wives and children and everything they had and had taken them off into slavery. And so, as it is oftentimes with human nature, all the guys get together, so, okay, the answer to this is kill the leader. And they all turned to David and they said, this is your fault. You've got to love leadership, right? And they were literally talking about how they were going to stone him. They're going to take his life. And it's interesting, as I begin to study that out, that word zigzag is a Hebrew word that means olive press. Or the subtitle, literally, the place of crushing. How many of you feel like you live in zigzag? The place of crushing. You see, David still had a lot of David in him. And he had so much David in him, there wasn't room for God in him. God had to put him through the grindstone, the millstone, the place of grinding, the place of crushing. But the Bible says in the midst of this, here is, he is absolutely alone. His guys want to kill him. His family's gone too. And you can imagine what you're thinking is happening to your poor wife and kids, right? And here's what, here's what the Bible says in Psalm, maybe I didn't put it up there, in Psalm uh, 1 Samuel 30, and verse 6, it says, But David encouraged himself... In the Lord his God. Do you think he did that by saying to himself, you know what, David, you're such an idiot. This is all your fault. You know what, you should just cooperate and let those guys kill you. Do you think that's what it meant? No. I mean, the Bible is so graphic in that area. It said that those guys wept until they had no more power to weep. They grieved it out, and David was with them. David was just as sorry and and as grief stricken as they were. And then they said, okay, done crying, let's kill somebody. Let's make someone pay for this. And what does the Bible say David David? How did he encourage himself? I don't know, but I guarantee you it was with life-giving words and not life-taking words. And he went to God and said, Lord, you know what? You've seen what's happened. You allowed it to happen. What do you want me to do? And God told David, go. Go after him, and you're going to recover it all and then some. And I, I could just see this conversation. David just says, you know what? All right. He says, guys, okay, we've got one or two choices. You can kill me, and never get your wives and children back, or you can follow me, and we'll go recover everything that we've lost and then some. Guys drop their stones, pick up their swords, and said, lead on. The rest of the story is they did exactly that. But I want to tell you what. The recovery of the, of the family, listen to me, would never have happened without verse 6. If David had never encouraged himself in the Lord his God, there would never have been any recovery. Are you, do you understand that this morning? So we need to be careful in how we're speaking to ourselves as well. Matter of fact, we all know it to be true. How you treat yourself is ultimately how you treat other people. Inside out. So here's what I want you to do. i kind of land this plane a little bit here. I can see the runway. The lights are blinking. I want. I want to say this to you carefully, but you might want to write this down. Don't think it's in the outline, but simply this: What do you? How do you do that? Let me just say this and then qualify it. I, I use this statement: If you want to see it, say it. If you want to see it, say it. We talked in, in our in our small group this morning. Time, um, you know, sometimes we think these things, but then when you say them, when you hear your, your own ears, hear your own mouth form those words, you realize, hey, wait a minute, that's not from God. And oftentimes, the reason I think we never get any farther with some things is because we don't, we don't verbalize it. If you want to see it, say it. Now, that's not name it, claim it. You know, I want to see a, a BMW in my driveway in Jesus' name. You know, that's, that is not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. Okay, that's not, you know, James, little brother Jesus, has something to say about that too. But what I'm saying is, if you want to see it in your life, say it. Bring it out, birth it into the open. And, 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 and here's what, I want to give you this phrase. I think, I think this is in your outline. And here's a little phrase that's going to help you. Here it is, and that's the way I want it. Last week I told you about your thoughts to add to it in Jesus' name. Here's another way to do that. As the Spirit resides in us, it works the same way. As you're talking, especially to yourself, here's what I want you to do. I want you to add to the end of that statement. And you need to speak it out because things sound okay in our mind and they don't sound right when we hear it. I want you to speak it out. And then add to the end of that statement, and that's the way I want it. So the next time you're feeling discouraged, you say, you know what? I'm a failure. I'm never going to make anything of my life. And, and uh, I, I am just no good. And then add to that what? And that's the way I want it. Is it? You say, you know what? That that kid is never going to get it. They're always going to be a thorn in my side. They're always going to be a pain. And I'm always going to be discouraged with them. And what? That's the way I want it. I'm serious now. You add that. Or, you know what? We're not in a good place right now financially. But. We're going to be faithful with what God has given us. We're going to recognize God's ownership of our life and our finances. We're going to take responsibility for where we are. And we're going to get to the point that we are not only out of debt, but we are able to turn that around and to live and to give generously because what? That's the way I want it. You know what? This marriage is not in a good place right now, but. God put us together, and I'm going to love her like Jesus loves the church. I'm going to stop living for me, and I'm going to start living for her. I'm going to be the man she wants me to be and that God wants me to be because what? That's the way I want it. So you add that to the end of your words. Romans 7.23 says, For I joyfully concur or agree with the law of God and the inner man. You add that. And you start to listen to your words and what you're saying. And you will hopefully never look at that child again and say, What's the matter with you? Can't you do anything right? Because that's the way I want it. You no, you don't. You want them, you want them to succeed. You want them to have confidence in their abilities. Add that. Statement the end of your statement and see if God doesn't change things. All right, I got some homework for you. It's right there in your outline. Last week I I asked you first first week I asked you what is your word for the year. Last week I said what is your thought? What is your one thought that you're going to meditate on? Today I want you to turn that thought into a statement because it doesn't say gracious thoughts are healing. It said gracious words are healing. Take that thought and turn it into some kind of a statement. I don't know how many times I've said this statement to myself this this week alone. And say it out loud. My my word is first love for the year. And and here's here's my statement that I've been telling myself over and over again. God first loved me, which gives me the ability to return to him as my first love. God loved me first so I can love him best. I don't know how many times I have said that to myself this week. Especially in the times of trial and temptation. Hey, God loved me first so I can love Him best. Like how how God has turned that around for me. I mean, whatever it is for you. With God's help, come up with that statement. God is blessing my marriage. God is helping me. Uh, My children are growing in their faith. What is your statement for that year? If you want to change the life you live, we need to change the words That we speak. Small changes in the words you speak. Can reap big changes. In the life that you live. If you can't say something helpful. Skip it. If you think something good. Say it. And stop withholding a blessing. We are robbing other people of blessing. Because we're withholding the good. That God has put in our mind. In our thoughts. To say. You want to see it. Say it. Words have the power of life and death. And I want to close with this Psalm. Psalm nineteen and verse fourteen. I love this. This is this is a good passage to memorize. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Words have the power of life and death. All right. Rubber meets the road time. How many of you sit out there and say, you know what? I am going to, with God's help, really pay attention to the words that I speak. And I want to I, I get away from life taking words as my first thought. And I want, to, I want the Holy Spirit to train me to first go to life-giving words. And I want that to start today. How many of you out there say, Preacher, I'm, I'm signing up for that. Just raise your hand right where you are. I'm so, I want to be that way. I want to give life. And that's the way I want it. That's exactly right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I want my words to be life-giving words and that's because that's the way I want it. And it is the way that we want it. Praise God. Praise God for that. And may the Lord do... What he has set in your heart to do. And may you trust him for it this week. Um, I don't know if this was worked out. Did, did Courtney ask you, Winnie, about the... Okay, can you do that for us? God bless Winnie. Winnie's going to come. And we're going to stand and sing a song. I thought this was the perfect song as I was looking through this, this sermon today. Check this out. Wonderful Words of life. Is that not an appropriate way to ask the Holy Spirit to bring this home in our hearts today? Why don't you?